0: Just a quick uh, word of encouragement after that long reading. The talk should be about 20 minutes. And it's mostly about chapter 10. Okay? Sorry, chapter 9. Chapter 9. Okay, every day, as Christians, we sin. We've been thinking about that this morning, haven't we? It's been a real help, the, the passages in Romans. We fail. We do, we think, we desire what we shouldn't. And we don't do, and we don't think, and we don't desire what we should. So, when that happens, we repent. And then we fail again. Then we need to repent again. So if you struggle with that as a Christian, and you're losing heart, or if it puts you off believing because you look at Christians and you think, oh, they keep failing, and then repent, and then believing, and so forth, and you see this continuum, Well, chapter 9 and 10 of Nehemiah is for you. Chapter 9 begins with a history of God's dealing with his people. It's the longest prayer in the Bible. And then in chapter 10, it's a kind of deal or covenant um, that um, the people make with God as a follow-on from that prayer. Now, some of you might know that I love history. But have you ever wondered what history is? besides a boring lesson. Well, this passage tells us what history is. History is his story. It's God's story. It points us to who God is. Just like the universe points us to who God is, the heavens declare the glory of God. So history tells us who God is. Nehemiah says that in verse 10 of chapter nine, And, he talks about history, and you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all the servants and all the people of his land, for you knew they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself to this day, having told us the history, you did this, Signs and wonders, the Red Sea, you rescue people. What you did, verse, uh, verse, uh, in in chapter 9. To make a name for yourself, verse 10. To this day, Nehemiah wrote 400 years before Christ about events 1,000 years before himself. So that's about 3,420 odd years ago, approximately. History is God making a name for himself to this day. So that when we see who he is, because that's what the name of God means, who is he? When we see who he is, then we can rest in him. We can trust him. We can enjoy him in 2022. And people are either people who know that. They know they can trust him and rest in him because they know who he is. They know what his name is, what he's like. Or they know about him. Chapter 9, verses 6 to 37, lists what God has done in history. And then in chapter 9, verse 36, he says this, Behold, despite all the great things you've done, behold, we are slaves to this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we're slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you set over us. Because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock. And they, and they please as they please. And we are in great distress. So by the time we get to chapter 9, it tells us literally they're in sackcloth. They're ashes. They've got ashes on their heads. They're in a terrible state. We are in great distress. He says that and then he thinks about who God is. Now I'm glad to say there won't be too many people in distress here. This evening, but there will be some. Um, distress is a private thing in many cases. But I guarantee that one day, at some point in your life, you will be in distress. Causes, health, family, work, relationships, besetting sin, who knows? But these chapters are here to help us in our distress, just like they helped the Israelites. And we can find out how it helps us by looking at what they said. How did they seek help? How can we seek help in our distress? Well, chapter 9, verse 5, the named Levites have this long, long prayer. 30 times they say, Oh God. And they do two things. The first thing they do, which helps them in their distress, is they realize that they deserve it. And the second thing they do is they pray. They deserve it. They say, if you read the passage, if you were listening, he said, we're in distress because of what we've done. We know, we know that, you know, after you saved us from Egypt, we turned our back on you, therefore we got what we deserved. And then we turned our back on you, then we got Babylon, and then we turned our back again, then we got uh, Assyria. We got what we deserved. But the passage has got hope for us. Because no matter how bad we are, the cross can help us in a hopeless situation. So the first thing they say is, we deserve it. And, you know, how many people have you heard in life say, I don't deserve this. What have I done to deserve this? That's a popular phrase, isn't it? What have I done to deserve this? Well, your heart is unrighteous. That's what you've done, to deserve this. But the second thing they do is to pray. And 6 to 31 is them praying all that God has done in a 1,000 years. And when they go through that history, they find out who God is because he's making a name for himself. He's telling them who he is. And when they realize who he is, they realize he can help them in their distress. So who is he then? What does this history, these 30 verses of prayer, what do they tell us? Who do they tell us God is? Well, the first thing is in verse 6, he's the Lord. Verse 6, you are the Lord. Now, that word in the Bible, that name in the Bible is from Exodus 3, verse 14, where God says to Moses, when Moses says, who shall I say sent me? And he says, tell them that I am has sent you. Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, as it is in the Hebrew. I am has sent you. That name means I've got no competitors. I don't rely on anybody. I've always been. Everything depends on me. So when we find ourselves in distress, and we will do one day, we've got to remember who we come to. We come to that God, that great God, that Lord and he says deal with me cuz i can help you cuz i'm the lord of everything the second thing in the same verse the lord is your maker and you know when things go wrong what does it say on the instructions for the best results follow the maker's instructions the third thing in verses 7 and 8 he's righteous we talked about rightness tonight when we looked at that verse he's righteous The Lord made a covenant, a deal with Abraham, giving him the land where the people are now in distress if they will worship him. The Levites are distressed because they wonder if God will rescue them when they've broken that deal many, many times. And verse 8, they comfort themselves by saying, you have kept your promise for you are righteous. It's doing the right thing. That's what righteousness, righteousness is. And God's standard of that rightness is himself, perfect rightness. He can't deny himself, so he's perfectly right in everything. And that's what helps us through distress, to know that God is righteous. And as they pray, does that help them? Does God's righteousness spell disaster or deliverance for them? Because they realize God has been nothing but good to them. But unfortunately, that provokes shame in them. Verse 33 You have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you dealt faithfully and we've acted wickedly. In the prayer, they encourage themselves with another aspect of God's nature, who He is. They said He's Lord, they said He's Maker, they said He's righteous. And now they say he's merciful. It's quite interesting to trace this through. Six times they state how bad and how evil they've been. And after each one, they say, but you are merciful. Let's start in verse 16. Our ancestors became arrogant, stiff-necked, and didn't, didn't obey your commands. You remember when they all came out and, you know, they'd been led out, Plagues had been sent to let them out. Um, They they found food and water. Everything was provided for them. But they were stiff-necked. They wouldn't obey the commands. But then in the same verse, he says, But you are a forgiving God, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you didn't desert them. When you're in that position where it doesn't seem to be going the way you want it to, and you're in distress... You might go through your own sin, but remember, you will not desert them. Second one in verse 18, even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt, or when they committed awful blasphemies, they were singing and dancing and making golden calves and drinking and carrying on, just like the people of Egypt had, as if they were not out of Egypt, as if they were not out of slavery, and said, this is your God, this piece of gold, not the living God, who did all those miracles for them. That's how bad it was. But in verse 19, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. Even so, the third time is in verse 26, they turned their backs on your law. But God is merciful. Verse 27, from heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. He's talking now of the period of the Judges. You know the Judges? 12 times the people turned away from God. 12 times they cried out, 12 times he sent an Ehud, a Deborah, a Gideon, a a Barak, an Othniel. You remember all of them? They came in and, and rescued them, a Samson. And the book of Judges is the testimony of those rescues and that mercy. And the fourth time in verse 28, They did evil again before you, despite all that. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. So they had dominion over them. We're talking about the Babylonians and so forth. Verse 28, yet they turned and cried to you, and you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Fifth time, verse 29, they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, Which, if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder, and stiffened their neck, and would not obey. Now, in this world today, we we meet many people who stiffen their neck to God. Won't have anything to do, turn away, really hard faced, really strong against it. That's the way it is at the moment, and they would not obey. But God's mercy was there in verse 30. Many years you bore with them. Not just a day, a week. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through the prophets. Yet they would not give ear. And finally, the sixth example is in verse 30. Yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. The people who we've just been rescued from, says Nehemiah, way over there in Assyria. Verse 31. Nevertheless, In your great mercies, you did not make an end of them. How do the Levites respond to the telling of this history? The revealing of God's character, maker, Lord, righteous, merciful. Well, this is how they react in verse 32. Now, therefore, having gone through all that, our God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship seem little to you, that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria to this day. So they're helped by it all. They're encouraged by it all. They cry to him because of it. And that's what we wish we should be in distress. But the second thing they do is they reestablish the covenant, the deal between them and God. Just like Abraham had a deal, a covenant Testament, an Old Testament, and they ask God to take pity on them. Verse 38, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes and Levites and priests. Footnote, I found a really interesting article about archaeological remains in this area with seals signed by some of the characters mentioned in the readings that we didn't make. Um, dated to this period. I just thought sort I'd of throw that in. But anyway, as a sort of unapologetic type thing, you know, some evidence of this is, this is real history. This is real history. And chapter 10 is that covenant, is that deal where we find some of the seals referred to. In verse 29, it says, they entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and to do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his rules and his statutes. Chapter 10 is a list of those people who signed that covenant. And it's mostly about the house of the Lord and how they set aside tithes and offerings to make sure that the house of the Lord does not fail in its purpose. They let the Lord down all the time. And you and I let the Lord down every day. We do what we shouldn't. We don't do what we should. So what is the lesson for us in our distress? Well, I think it's that we should think to ourselves about the story of how God has had mercy on us. It might not be a thousand years. It might just be a few years. But to see how God has had mercy on us and ask in our prayer for relief and resolve to do better in serving him and to get his aid in that. But Of course, there are two problems with this in getting such a lesson from these two chapters. And the first problem is, we can't keep our promises. The odds for them, after a1,000 years of failure, was that they couldn't keep their promises. They made a promise. it's in chapter 10, it's there. but they failed. and then they failed. And then they failed. And we see when Christ comes. they're still failing in that temple. Christ has to go in and clear them out. We we just can't do it. We're the same as them. We just can't do it. It's hopeless. We can't keep our promises. That's the first issue. Secondly, we're going to get what we deserve. Chapter 9 and we should, verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us. For you have dealt faithfully And we have acted wickedly. What has happened to the people has been deserved, the slavery, etc., was God acting rightly, upholding his very nature. And we can't complain, because God is pure and holy. After a thousand years of trampling on his goodness, it would be right that he was done with them. And we're no better. That thought, that look, that word, that action... But, at the end of the Old Testament, this cycle ends, and it ends in Christ. The Lord Jesus comes, and he solves those two problems. We can't keep our promises, we get what we deserve. We can't keep our promises, so Jesus does it for us. Jesus lifts up the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. That means the new covenant mentioned in Ezekiel where he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. The old covenant's finished with the new deals in, the new promise which God makes with us in Christ. Not a whole bunch of new laws pressing on us from outside but an internal change of heart guaranteeing that he who begins a good work in us will complete it. So now, you and I, believer, know that one day, repentance, failure, repentance, failure, repentance, failure, will end because of Christ's blood, because of that verse we read earlier, because he's bought our sinlessness before God the Father, and his Holy Spirit helps us Maybe not to win the battle, but to stay in the battle against sin until that day. So the second problem, we get what we deserve. The Old Testament doesn't solve that. The problem of God's righteousness, which demands punishment. But the New Testament does. Next week in Romans chapter 3, we'll be looking at the end of verse 24. Sorry, Steve. (laughs) I didn't realize what you're preaching on next week. (laughs) And it says this, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that means a sacrifice, by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. So if you're thinking, I'm going to get what I deserve. You're not if you're in Christ because he passes over former sins. All that stiff-necked unrighteousness passed over. The cross of Christ shows God's righteousness because he couldn't pass it over. He put it on his son. Mercy in the Old Testament and the New Testament mercy in those six examples was bought by Christ not by bulls and goats but by Christ because every mercy in the Old Testament and the New Testament is through Christ it's through faith they didn't know it was going to be Christ in the old we know because of the new they look forward we look back in that one to that one cross where that mercy was shown bought by Jesus David was a murdering adulterer. And he wouldn't think that God was righteous unless God punished his sin and showed how much he hates sin. That's why in Hebrews 11, David is listed as a man of faith. Who was his faith in? It was in Christ who was going to come, a shadow of which he saw in the Old Old Testament, in the Old Testament pattern of failure, mercy, failure, mercy. And uh, you and I must say, bad stuff befalls us, and 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 it will if it hasn't. God is righteous, and I deserve it. But it's finished. It's finished at the end of Nehemiah. If it finished at the end of Nehemiah, we'd have nothing else to say. But it isn't, because in the New Testament, God deals with those issues that I deserve what I get, And I keep failing in a new covenant with the Messiah, the promised Messiah. And so on the basis of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus and his resurrection, that cycle has been broken. God has vindicated his righteousness in Christ. Now, Satan might want you to think you're guilty every day of your sin, which God can't let go. But God does let it go because his righteous son took it in himself on the cross. So I want to finish by recommending that Savior to you. Nehemiah 9.37 says, we are in great distress. If you're a Christian in great distress because of your ongoing sin, if you're not a Christian, but you look at your sin and wonder how you're going to deal with it, I have to tell you, in closing, Christ alone takes away that distress. He did it once. He did it for all. And he did it on the cross. And it's to him that we look. And it's to him that we find our all in all. He is the Lord. He is the one who we have to deal with. Amen.